If you would, please turn to Mark chapter 14 this morning. going to read verses 12 through 25, verses 12 through 25. Listen carefully to God's word. Remember what the Bible says, God says. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready, there prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the 12. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and say to one another, after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to, the man, to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. He, it, it would have been better that, that for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Our Lord, we... see many things in this text before us in terms of the events that are transpiring here in the life of our Savior and the disciples. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would see that the Lord Jesus Christ is a true prophet concerning 
his word and that he also is the one who is the true mediator and sacrifice for us. For he is the one who is exalted as the King of Kings. In Christ's name, amen. Recently, a member of our congregation placed before me an interesting comment and question about our Savior, Jesus Christ. If I recall correctly, permit me to paraphrase the comment and the question. It is clear in the Gospels that Christ fulfills the offices of king and priest, but it does not seem as clear that he fulfills the office of prophet. How do we understand the prophetic office in Christ? As we reflect upon this intriguing comment and question, allow me to place before you the Westminster Confession of Faith's succinct statement in the Shorter Catechism concerning Christ's office as prophet. Christ executes the office of prophet in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. At this point, let me accent the phrase, the will of God for our salvation. What is interesting is that in the most comprehensive document, of the confession of faith. The three offices of Christ are placed within the chapter entitled, Of Christ the Mediator. That is chapter eight of the confession. That is Christ fulfilling the office of priest, meaning that Christ is our perfect mediator as our high priest and that Christ is our perfect sacrifice for our sin. What is obvious with respect to chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith is that Christ's offices of prophet and king only have meaning and relevance in our life if he purchases our salvation by his priestly office. Christ is not a prophet and king unless he carries the office of priest for our glorious salvation. So returning to the phrase in the Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, Question and Answer 24, that Christ executes the office of prophet by revealing the will of God God for our salvation necessitates his high priestly office. So to repeat, Christ does not possess the office of prophet and king unless he fulfills the priestly office of securing the salvation of his people whose names are written in the book of the Lamb of God. 
his three offices, prophet, priest, and king, are integrated in his person and mission as the Messiah of good news. Congregation, the textual reading that I have placed before you this morning has three sections you possibly notice. Verses 12 through 16, verses 17 through 21, and verses 22 through 25. In each section, the prophetic office of Christ is before us. As Christ's gospel confronts its reader, one of the important underlining themes in his gospel is the question, is Christ a true prophet or is Christ a false prophet? We have mentioned this theme on previous occasions. The most constant mention has been his prophetic reference to his own death and resurrection for our salvation on three occasions following Peter's confession. So as we move closer to his crucifixion, his prophetic office becomes further underlined as the day of the cross is before us. Hence, in verses 12 through 16, we should not miss his prophetic office as constituting his identity. We are on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb. The disciples asked Christ about where they are to go and prepare to eat for the Passover. Christ sends two disciples and describes the events that are going to occur for those disciples concerning finding the place for the Passover celebration. They are to go into the crowded streets. Remember how crowded it is at this time in terms of the pilgrimage going into Jerusalem. And out of all the people that will be in the crowded streets there in Jerusalem, there is going to be a man carrying a jar of water who will meet the two disciples. Just think about that for a moment in terms of this person just coming up to them. They are to follow this man to a certain house. He will enter the house and the two disciples are to enter with him. Then at this point, they are to say to the master of the house that their teacher is asking where his guest room is so that he can eat the Passover with his disciples. The master of the house will show them a large upper guest room furnished and already ready, already prepared for them in terms of each detail of Christ's prophetic words of these two, to these two disciples, we can ask the question once more, is Jesus a true prophet or is Jesus a false prophet? Well, look closely at verse 16. There should be no question. 
in your mind as a reader and participant in Mark's gospel message. Jesus is a true prophet. The text reads, and the disciples set out and went in the city and found it just as he, Christ, had told them, and they prepared the Passover. One last comment about verses 16, 12 through 16. Christ exercising his prophetic identity should not surprise us here. Was not his prophetic identity also revealed to the disciples when he foretold the disciples to enter Bethany to find the donkey on which he would enter Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? Thinking back there in chapter 11, 1 through 10, sure, sure, the prophetic identity of Christ was seen in that incident as well. We'll now turn to verses 17 through 21. How does his prophetic office, the prophetic office of Jesus Christ, Identity confront us here in this section. Interestingly, they are reclining at table and eating when Christ speaks with his prophetic voice. Hence, he speaks with that absolute certain phrase, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Verse 19, let us note that this is the third time in Mark's gospel that Jesus is pictured as reclining at table. As we saw, the first two were mentioned clearly with Christ reclining with sinners. Back in chapter 2, verse 15, he is reclining with tax collectors and sinners, the text says. And in Simon the leper's house that we looked at last week, we was, who himself was once understood as unclean, chapter 14, verse 3. Now in our text, verse 18, Christ is reclining at table and eating with his disciples who have been portrayed throughout Mark's gospel as having hard hearts, whose eyes and ears are still not open to the true identity of Christ and his mission. They're still perplexed. And yet, they do not possess saving faith. Simply put, once again, Christ is reclining at table and eating with sinners. His disciples, this time it is the Passover meal. Mark's state narrative about Christ reclining at table has been pointing to this climax in the gospel all along in terms of those situations. It's been pointing us to the Passover. Well, as Mark presents the posture at the table, 
It should not surprise us that his prophetic voice rings with a profound and certain prediction that there is a betrayer eating with me. That's the phrase. You talk about eating with sinners. Yes, this betrayer whom Jesus chose to be with him from the beginning of his ministry, back in chapter 3, verse 14, is now going to dip bread into the dish with me. Verse 20. Note the personal aspect there and that phrase with me. With respect to Christ's prophetic voice, note that he does not tell the disciples who the betrayer is. Although the disciples are not comprehending the identity of Christ, they have remained by Christ's side through the vicious confrontations, the zealous crowds. All 12 disciples are still with him. So when they hear Christ's prophetic words, the text points out that they become sorrowful. They could become sad. Their hearts are unhappy. And they press Christ one by one if it is one of them. As you can see in verses 20 and 21, Christ does not provide a name. He states that the betrayer is one of the 12, one who will, sh who will share the unleavened bread with him and dip it in the sauce of bitter herbs as is instructed, instructed in the Passover meal in Exodus chapter 12, verse 8. And the horror, the horror of judgment upon the betrayer is so great that it would have been better that he would not have been born. Let me draw your attention to two crucial points in this context, in this section. First, the bitter herbs. In the Passover meal are a reminder of when the Egyptians ruthlessly made the Israelites to work as slaves and made their lives, the biblical text says, bitter with hard service. Back in Exodus 1, verses 13 and 14. Here before us in the Passover meal hosted by the final Passover lamb of God who is about to endure the most bitter suffering as an enslaved person, even to the point of brutal death on the cross for his people. This time, instead of the Egyptians ruthlessly submitting Israel to slaves in bitter service, it will be the leaders of Israel, the high priests and the scribes, who will enslave Christ to bitter suffering with the assistance 
of one of Jesus' own disciples. But as their plot is disgustingly evil, Christ is on the path to turn their plot upside down. Christ as the Son of Man has declared so gloriously that he has come willingly not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, as a ransom for many. That key text back in chapter 10, verse 45. In fact, the bitter path that the Jewish leaders are plotting for Christ has already started to have its counter it's counter in the woman who, was un, who has anointed Christ, not with bitter herbs, but with the wonderful fragments of ointment that will be upon him all the way to the grave. This a sweet, sweet offering of aroma unto his father and as a ransom for our sin. Don't forget the woman that we talked about and looked at last week who anointed Christ is the centerpiece, the centerpiece within the, pass, the Passover narrative of Mark's gospel. Second, in terms of a point that I want to highlight in this section of 17 through 21, Please note the word dipping in verse 20. It is interesting that the root of the Greek word here for dipping is baptism. Is baptism. That is, the word can literally be translated baptizing. Instead of dipping the bre of bread with Christ and being a visible sign, baptism of renewing, of renewal and suffering in relationship with Christ, for the betrayer, for the betrayer, it becomes a sign of treachery, sedition, and treason. Please note the dipping of the un leavened bread symbolized as baptism points to the covenantal sign of union with Christ as the bread of life. The breaking of the bread at the Last Supper points to the covenantal sign of the cross. Hence see the gravity, see the gravity of evil by the betrayer. He is ridiculing both sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, that will be instituted in Christ's church. Christ has definitely tied these two sacraments together with the Lord's Supper, which is the fulfillment of the Passover feast. Remember Christ's response to James and John concerning being able to sit on his right and left 
in glory. Do you remember Christ's words there to them? Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism of which I am baptized? Chapter 10, verse 38. Well, from Christ's prophecy, it is obvious that the betrayer has no desire to drink the cup that Christ drinks or to be baptized with Christ's baptism. He has no desire to be with him. Verse 20, that important phrase, to be with Christ, the betrayer has no interest in that. Well, let us now come to the third section of our text, verses 22 through 25, in Christ's prophetic voice. We have already seen the Christ's prophetic predictions coming true about the donkey that would carry him on Palm Sunday and the place where the Passover will be celebrated with his disciples. Furthermore, the path to the cross that he prophesied on three occasions seems to be occurring right now presently in his life as predicted. But in the third section, he prophesies something that is exclusively future in verse 25. Note the phrase of absolute certainty once again. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. That is the final consummation of Christ's kingdom. Mark has been building the case that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the supreme occupant of the prophetic office rooted in history in Moses' prophetic office in Deuteronomy 18. That's why I read it for our call of worship this morning. There is no superior prophetic word than what flows out of the person of Christ. Do we understand? Look back at 1331. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Yes, Christ has spoken to us throughout the Olivet Discourse in Mark 13. I've not forgotten about that. About future events as an exercise in his prophetic office. The whole 13th chapter is an exercise in Christ's prophetic office. And we know where we stand now in the history of redemption that the tribulation upon Jerusalem and the Old Testament temple has already occurred as predicted by Christ in 70 A.D. 
If anyone here this morning wants to live your life challenging, challenging the prophetic word, Christ's prophetic word, which never passes away, let me warn you right now, you will lose. You want to challenge Christ's prophetic word, you will lose. There is no hope for you. The evidence is already in about many things which he has prophesied, especially his prophetic word about the central aspect of redemption, his death and resurrection. Two events remain from Mark's narrative. First of all, heaven and earth has not yet passed away. And secondly, in terms of verse 25, his drinking of the vine at the consummation. Nevertheless, in our text, in verses 22 through 25, his prophetic voice in union with his priestly voice is revealing the will of God and instituting the Lord's Supper for his church. Yes, the bread the body and the cup, the blood, point to his covenantal priestly sacrifice as his body is broken, taken upon himself our sin, and our sin is cleansed by his perfect lifeblood. The blood, the blood, Listen carefully. The blood from a year-old unblemished lamb and goat was transferred, transferred from the doorposts in Egypt to one who became a sin curse on our behalf hanging on a cursed tree. By virtue of the cross, the wrath of God that we deserve passes over, passes over once and for all. Those who rest upon Christ alone for their salvation. Do not miss that there is no mention in Mark's narrative as they recline and eat, that they ate the sacrifice, lamb or goat, which is part of the Passover meal. Mark's gospel, the other, don't mention this. We, just should, we should assume that they did. Christ and his disciples would celebrate the festival of the meal as celebrated historically in Israel, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. But the Messiah is now here, Mark wants us to know. 
He's now here. The point that each of us must come to grips with in our own hearts and in our own souls is that the final Passover unblemished Lamb of God has come, has come. The event of his coming and his fulfilling work is before us right here as we participate in the text and in the meal. His own prophetic word is replacing the Old Testament Passover with his own sacrificial priestly sacrament of the bread and the cup. That is what the good news in Mark's gospel highlights for you, the church. Let us unite now as the body of Christ's church to receive through the presence of Christ's spirit the nourishment for serving our Savior in the good news. Let us pray before we come to the table. Our Lord and our God, how we rejoice It is marvelous how every little aspect is placed together by your word and by your actions and by your commandments to, to thy people, pointing us to the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How the Passover in the Old Testament is now seen at this table of reclining and eating. What a marvelous scene it is. And now, O oh Lord, you invite your church, your people, those who love the Lord Jesus Christ to partake now this morning in terms of your glorious presence in us and the presence of thy spirit in terms of how we are nourished with the bread and the cup. Bless each person here this morning in their service to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give him, give them the richness of your nourishment. In Christ's name, amen.